This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The time for community banks and credit unions to win is now. While the big players and exciting new challenges grab headlines, Regional institutions are at the heart of the banking ecosystem, putting the service back into financial services. Serving their local communities, these organisations around the world have a unique advantage over their competitors. They have deep, established roots with their customers. They offer local personal service and they're not tangled up in the legacy tech mess that the big banks are. To read, watch and listen to what else we've got to say about them and how they can win, visit 11fs.com forward slash community banks. That's learnerfest.com slash community banks. And welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. Let me ask you, what has 200 billion lines and is used by 43% of banks? Uh, that isn't some illicit drug, by the way. I'm, you know, we're talking about code lines here. It pretty much drives every global financial system all around the world. Uh, it is the subject of today's episode in a cozy little fireside chat that we're going to be having with our 11FS CTO to dive into the world of COBOL, common business-oriented language. So Ewan and myself are going to get together and talk a little bit more about this. But this computer programming language has been used in financial services for decades, and it is estimated around about 220 billion lines of COBOL are still currently in use, pairing systems we rely on to manage our money and move it around the world. But just because it's always been used, does it really mean it should be continued to being used? And we're going to explore exactly what COBOL is and why banks continue to use it. And how can we move away from COBOL? And really, what are the implications of, of not doing that? If you find this episode interesting and decide you want to learn a little bit more, more you can check out our Decoding Banking series where you and, and the rest of the team over on our 11FS YouTube channel, explain this and many more other uh, basic banking concepts. Uh, I think you're going to love that. Uh, I've heard from a lot of organizations around the world that they use it for training for their people. So uh, it sounds like it went down pretty well, which is good. All right, let's get on with the discussion. I am delighted, as I said, to be joined by Ewan Silver, the CTO here at 11FS. How's it going, Ewan? Yeah, good, David. Yourself? It's uh, been a while since we've done one of these things. Well, I mean, we just literally come off uh, our ventures uh, management meeting as well to, to sort of chatting about various different things. And it was like, uh, I'll see you in three minutes for the podcast talking about COBOL, which is fun. So, uh, um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting subject matter. And I know last time me and you chatted, uh, we had some really great reaction for it and uh, uh, some real 
I think we hit a nerve with some of the people that we were sort of directly speaking to. But um, we have a, obviously a lot of listeners around the world who listen to this, who who work in finance, they work in fintech, you know, across the across the world. And, and I assume many probably don't know what COBOL is. And that's not, you know, anybody listening to this going, how dare you, sir? But I don't mean it like an aspersion piece, but, but not many people do. In fact, actually, you and that's sort of one of the problems really, isn't it? I, I mean, maybe if we start at the beginning, why did COBOL gain so much popularity as a as a, a language of choice for, for programmers back in the day? And particularly for, for financial services, it seems to be uh, well and truly deep-seated. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to, if, you, if you want to talk about COBOL, you have to go back to the very, very, very beginning of computer programming. Um, you know, as we've I thought that was going to be a the back to the like the space and time and like a big bang theory. It's <laughs> well, like uh, it, it is. It's the big bang theory of computing, right? I mean, I think we forget that uh, you know everyone talks about sort of banks as some kind of technical laggards. Banks aren't technical laggards. Banks have been at the forefront of computing, like literally from the very very start. Um, you know, we kind of forget that computers only really exist in their modern form post the Second World War. You know, the UK invented them at GCHQ and the post office to, to crack a sort of a crack enigma, which is the German spy things. And, you know, that was, in, that was in the mid-1940s. And, you know, computers at the time, they were like literally wired together. You were, you were wiring transistors and so on and so forth. You rolled it forward a few years, and by a few years, I don't mean like four, five, six, seven years, something like that, in the mid-1950s. And you got companies like IBM had come along and created their sort of large mainframe tabulating machines and they, they were tabulating machines because you know ibm was originally like a big calculator company really um, and you know these very early mainframes were still being wired together by people mixing moving wires around and so on and so forth and it became pretty clear very very quickly that actually this just didn't work you needed to actually start to have the idea of a language so the original languages were things like assembly which were like literally you're, you're now turning the computer to move from this memory location to that memory location very, very fast, but not possible to do anything with it. So I guess late 1950s, early 1960s, uh, a woman called Grace Hooper, who was probably one of the most preeminent computer programmers we ever had, you know, her, her impact is, is massive. She effectively came up with um, this language called COBOL, uh, which was kind of one of the very first languages to be able to take computer instructions and turn them into basic English, and it was English at the time. Uh, and actually, COBOL is basically a dialect of a computer language that allows people to represent business decisions in a computer language. And it was transformative. Uh, and, you know, banks were the very forefront of this technology to move money around, you know, to, to sort of calculate money, to tabulate balances, because if you think about what happens on an end-of-day process in a bank, it's like adding up all the ledger capabilities and so on and so forth. That's, that's what a bank does. That's what a bank has always done. That's what a bank does nowadays. You know, nothing has fundamentally changed there. And COBOL was uh, fundamental to that shift to actually embed computers in for the very first time. It's 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 funny, isn't it? For everything that we sort of talk about, I mean, we we often talk about the uh, you know that weird transition from analog through digitized to digital. You know, really the the earliest form factor of from an analog physical, you know, money in the safe in the back and, you know, everything written down. Like COBOL was the transitionary state into that digitized world, really, wasn't it? And actually the all of the to your point, the the logic that could then be held within it. 
uh, as a uh, you know a, that store of you know business logic and everything that went with that. This is really what it was there to do, wasn't it? It was that transitionary step. Yeah, I mean, COBOL was transformative. Um, you know, you went from old style paper ledgers, you know, which we've had since you know banking fourteen sixty two or whatever in Venice, Renaissance Venice, you know, and and all they really did was take those ledgers and digitize them. So you know, we also talk about that sort of the you know, the banking battlefield and that shift from, you know, analog to digital to, you know, and, and they, they literally were taking analog capabilities and digitizing them. Uh, but, you know, I suppose the problem was that, you know, they, it, it, it was massively transformative, but the problem was they were so early on in the way that computer systems were built that actually they started to put all of their business logic very close to this, this COBOL, to the ledgers, because, you know, that kind of made sense for a bank to do that. Uh, and you know they don't they didn't understand it was 50 60 70 years ago you know even older than me or Sean our chairman or someone like that you know um it, 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 and and we didn't understand how to build computer systems in those days and and you know a large part of the bank's problems is that those early cobol systems still exist you know they're still around you know maybe not the very very earliest code but it's been added onto and onto and onto and so now you have this massive legacy of cobol you know you talk about 200 odd billion lines of code it's 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 unsustainable. Well, it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? Because for everything, uh, and for anybody who knows, uh, my my background was computing as well. So anybody who knows sort of a little bit about about COBOL, to your point, it's like a it's actually quite an elegant language, really, in terms of what it what it does. You know, there is a uh, quite a, a great level of reliability in terms of actually what you've got there. It's you know it's not the hardest language to learn in terms of all of the infinite complexity that we've got in uh, you know modern day languages for for this as well. You know, it's pretty scalable. The the maintenance of it is you know, relatively straightforward if you've got people who know what they're doing. So, so I guess why are we sort of discussing it today as a as a problem? The thing that I was kind of liken it to, uh, we've got a you know quite a a bad legacy in the UK of like building infrastructure and then being like, well, it's done and we're you know we walk away. Probably like the closest thing that I can relate it to is like the uh, the the copper. Uh, wires that transmit the internet around the UK as well. You know, at the beginning, it made a great deal of sense. Like copper was like it was a you know very conductive uh, setup. We could get uh, you know great reliability through it. It was relatively cheap to do. Um, but actually, in a digital age where fiber optic is able to carry much greater speeds and much greater reliability, and the bandwidths be you know infinitely higher than copper could be, actually your infrastructure is then the thing that's fundamentally holding you back. And very similar to the copper wires that we uh, you know have running around the uh, the you know out and beyond to you know carry bad broadband to everybody in the UK, then these things are generally as COBOL is very deep seated in the organization you know the the copper wires and we dug giant trenches and you know buried them under houses and all sorts of stuff but actually cobol sits at the basis of most of the foundations of most of the banks you and so is that the issue is is it that um you know the infrastructure and i mean infrastructure as the the absolute base layer is kind of not built in order to sustain the level of a uh, challenge of, of today yeah, I mean, what, one of COBOL's problems is that it, you know, it is super simple, um, and it is very, it, it is actually very elegant, as you say, for what it does. Um, and you know, these mainframes that uh, were put in the sixties, seventies, eighties, they actually work. They are very, very simple machines. These things, these things work really, really well. Uh, and if you're running a large regulated organisation like a bank, 
you don't really want to change that. And, you know, it doesn't make sense to change it in the 80s. It didn't make sense to change it in the 90s. It kind of didn't make sense to change it in the 20s and the 2010s, et cetera, et cetera. It never kind of made sense. Um, because they are ultra-reliable in what they do, you know, counting up account balances, making sure transactions work, and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, but the problem is that, you know, the world has moved on. You know, you kind of talk about sort of that copper cable going to fiber optic, et cetera. Um, it, we've... It's difficult for, you know, if a bank is, is got five, 10 million customers or something like that, it's very, very hard to, to transition off of a core system. You know, we, you only have to look around and see, you know, there's multiple examples of banks failing. Well, not necessarily failing, but, you know, that those core replacements are potentially career-ending for a lot of people if they go wrong. It's just too risky for people. Um, and so the COBOL just lingers because it's never quite bad enough to, to get rid of, um, but... You know, it, and that's that's its problem. It's never quite bad enough to get rid of, and so you you always keep it. So we sort of move then to a a kind of an era of sort of maintenance over replacement, don't we? It's um it's more sort of cost effective and to your point less risky to to sort of maintain those systems than it is to to actually replace them. So, but but I guess we've got to a point similar with you know my point around broadband, where actually it becomes the it becomes the inhibitor. Is that the main risk? Do you think with uh, with COBOL today, or I mean, increasingly what we're sort of seeing as well is uh, you know the I mean it's just all sorts of different sort of organizations being spun up. You know, COBOL cowboys and all different things where COBOL developers are getting paid a really lot of money just because actually the skill sets in order to maintain almost business critical infrastructure. You know, we're talking about you know one terminal to uh, you know to uh, start up and reset your entire organization. I know we've talked to a couple of banks recently, you and where you know we're hearing stories still about this, right? So, so is it is it the problem with the language? Do you think, or is it necessarily the scarcity of the resource to actually deal with it? Uh, I mean, I think it's probably. You go to university and say to somebody, you know, I tell you what I, what I want you to do is I want you to learn a 60, 70-year-old language. People are going to be like, are you kidding me? There's, there's no way these kids want to do it coming out of university. They always want to learn the, the latest JavaScript or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, front-end language, React or, or you know, Swift or, um, you know, whatever the back-end language would be. They, they, they have no interest in learning something that's 60, 70 years old. Um, so as a result, you know, the people who do that are in their... 60s, 70s, 80s. So, you know, you, you talk about it. We we talked to multiple banks where the bank has two or three engineers who are 70 or 80 years old, and nobody there to take over. There's a um, I won't name the name of it, but there's a big UK bank who um, you know had a very large program that was going on where part of it would have let go of two people out of five people that could were the only people who knew how to stand up and maintain a system that ran most of the bank. Uh, and actually, as you say, it's, um, you know, for all of the infrastructure, for all of the technology, for all of the things, you know, all of these things are written by people at the end of the day, right? And uh, I do remember uh, one uh, very nice elderly chap being flown in by a helicopter to come finish, uh, to, to come fix one of these systems, which is crazy, isn't it? But it, it, as you say, it's not unheard of given how um, underlying these things actually are. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned COBOL, Cowboys. Uh, there are a lot of two or three organizations like that where, you know, people in the 70s or 80s are making very, very good money basically running the infrastructure. Uh, and you know, it, it, it sounds like the plot line of a, a, a later stage version of like the movie Expendables. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? It's like uh, Bruce Willis kicks the door in and then fixes like five lines of COBOL and then disappears, yeah. you know, like. Uh, that, that, that's exactly what it is, right? But it's, um, 
you know, the problem, I suppose, for the banks is that what happened, you, know, the, you have a terminal problem here, and I mean that in the in the crudest possible sense. You know, if these, these, if these guys, and they are all men, you know, if they were to pop their mortal coil, the bank has a, suddenly has a, you know, has a single point of failure there. Uh, there, you know, so trying to get people interested in understanding that actually there is an opportunity to learn COBOL, I think is 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 really important. You know, there are there are people starting to try and educate. You know, bring on add it, add it to university systems. You know, companies are are trying to uh, you know open up trading programs, but it's it's slow, and a lot of the problem isn't actually. You know, the language is very simple. You can learn the language quite quickly. The problem is to actually be able to go into the code base and understand what it actually does. Because, you know, as you and I know, pretty much no systems are documented inside banks. Um, you know, the actual code that's running, it's, you know, here be dragons. Yeah, it's a, it is an amazing one, isn't it? Uh, again, uh, you know, I love a good analogy, but um, I've seen a lot of organizations almost preparing. It's kind of like that... Um, that die that they inject into people to see where it's going to, you know, I mean, the the business logic and the impact of of these systems is very much uh, unknown. Um, and the challenge on that, to your point earlier on, Ewan, is that there's sort of almost the um, sedimentary rock lines, you know, the things that have been built on top of these systems, uh, heavily reliant on those things that people just don't really understand. So, you know, the implications of this on on a business could be. The business grinds to an absolute halt because actually not only is there a problem but nobody really understands how to fix it and to your point that the people who could have fixed it have been let go a long time ago so i mean it's a it is an interesting challenge isn't it you know i i guess that it, it comes back to how do you uh, we you know we started at the beginning of this conversation saying you know most of our listeners probably don't work with COBOL every day they're like you know we're building mobile apps and we're building these capabilities and you know we're doing all of these other stuff so you know why should somebody actually care about this is it because it's like telling somebody that your your lovely house that you really really like is built on sand right yeah it's it's great for the mobile developers or the front-end guys who want sort of react you know sort of dynamic sort of notifications and so on and so forth. But the problem is, and the reason the banks can't do it, is because these notifications need to come from the very, very core of the banking system. That's, that's what a core banking system actually is at the end of the day. And these these systems are COBOL, and it's not designed to to sort of face into an internet world. Now, it doesn't mean to say that um, you know, the code is, is bad. The code is excellent at what it does. It's just not designed for real-time notifications. Um, you know, it, yeah. it's a batch orientated system because banks were batch orientated until very, very recently. That's that, in fact most banks still are batch orientated, right? The idea of building a real time event driven bank is is almost unheard of. But uh, you know, and so things like COBOL work really, really well. But then when you want to make that shift from a batch orientated world to an event driven world, you need a fundamentally different computer architecture underneath it. And that isn't just COBOL; that's the entire your entire worldview needs to change. Yeah, the orchestration of everything through that stack at that stage becomes very different, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, what it is that you need, but but fundamentally the services that you're trying to deliver uh, up to your interfaces and up to your customers ultimately, right? That's that's the opportunity with, uh, you know, we talk about digital riches, which is a real time, intelligent, contextual, human, extendable, and social. But in a riches world, then actually your ability to uh, you know, deliver things immediate or in the context of where people are or, you know, what situation that they're in, you know, the speed that they're moving, like whatever, like anything that you kind of want to want to sort of play with. It's very 
it's very difficult to do that in a batch sense. Um, it's very uh, easy to do that if you've got more of a an event-driven architecture and event-driven uh, data setup, isn't it? So, um, so I guess the the challenge really, I mean, why should anybody care about this? It's not because some COBOL engineer is getting four hundred thousand pounds for you know the 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 modern day uh, you know magic screwdriver sort of setup with some servers. It it is that fundamentally, without solving these deep-seated problems, you're probably never really ever going to be able to deliver the things that you really want to. Um, and I, I would say the other thing that this is, it's almost the, um, it's the, the disease to most of the symptoms. Uh, you know, when you look at symptoms of actually, you know, probably no challenger banks have this problem because they've been born in a digital age. They've been built on, uh, you know, different types of foundations, modern architecture, you know, cloud-based capabilities, yada, 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 right? Um, it's almost the... The you know the the old adage of like beauty is only skin deep. That's not true. Like beauty, when it comes to the capabilities you can deliver to customers, goes like all the way down to the the core of your bone. You know, in that sense. Uh, and at many organizations, COBOL being at that core is what's causing not only the the risk all the way through that system, um, but fundamentally the inability to to truly meet the potential that you can in a digital age. Right. Yeah, I mean, COBOL is is actually. If we've been brutally honest, it's probably a, a synonym or a proxy for the underlying core problems, and that's the, just the way the architecture is set up. You know, this monolithic mainframe. It's not necessarily the mainframe that's the problem; it's the monolithic view of the world. The fact that, you know, because of history and 60, 70 years ago, we didn't understand how to build systems. They layered stuff on top of it. Um, you know, but then actually, that, that manifests itself not just through technology. You know, your governance processes and your operational processes then become. Sort of batch orientated and, and monolithic in their own view of the world, you, you, and and I think you know that's one of the defining characteristics of you know we've talked about it multiple times. You know the challenger banks, their technology is different, but actually then the way they run their bank is different, and that you know and the, the two things are symbiotic. You know we talk about Conway's law, you know the the idea that your your computer architecture impacts your operational and business architecture and vice versa. Uh, Cobol because it was so successful and because computers in the 60s and 70s and 80s were so expensive, they became monolithic. Banks have now become monolithic because of that. Banks built in the in the new generation are natively cloud-based. They're natively the opposite of monolithic and therefore everything, all their thought processes change differently. Uh, and, and that's the fundamental problem. It's, it's you know, COBOL is just a, a symptom of that wider, wider problem. 100%. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll discuss if COBOL isn't the best answer, then where should banks be looking for for better alternatives? Back with you very soon. The time for community banks and credit unions to win is now. While the big players and exciting new challenges grab headlines, regional institutions are at the heart of the banking ecosystem, putting the service back into financial services. Serving their local communities, these organisations around the world have a unique advantage over their competitors. They have deep, established roots with their customers. They offer a local personal service and they're not tangled up in the legacy tech mess that the big banks are. To read, watch and listen to what else we've got to say about them and how they can win, visit 11fs.com forward slash community banks. That's 11fs.com slash community banks.
Welcome back to Fintech Insider Insights. Hopefully by now you've got a much better idea of what COBOL actually is and how banks are actually using it. But is it the right way? Uh, and if it isn't, with all of the arguments that you heard before the break, then actually how, as an industry, do we find a better solution? And actually just knowing the answer is one thing, but how do you actually get there? That's always the, the biggest challenge, isn't it? So so I guess you and look, if COBOL isn't working and there are, you know, real examples of of change here um why don't banks just change it you know you touched on this a little bit point with the the core banking you know transformations and those things i mean is it just nobody elects for heart surgery is that the problem yeah it, it's it is transformative it's uh, you're going to have to fund because as i sort of talked about just before the break you know cobol uh, the, the computer architectures they fundamentally drive your business architectures as well you know conway's law uh, actually having to go in and change these computer systems often require banks to fundamentally reimagine a, a new way of working. And, and actually, that's the hard part. It's not the technology. The technology is relatively easy. It's the people and the governance and the operational processes and making those changes. Uh, you know, If you're running 10 million, 10 million 20 million accounts on a, on a major bank in, in the UK, actually getting you know, 10,000 people to change the way they work, that's, that's the hard part. Uh, well, it's funny, isn't it, when people sort of refer to the, you know, the spaghetti uh, underpinning many infrastructures, much of that spaghetti is how people work, isn't it? Um, and that's, uh, it is a, a really interesting sort of problem to get there. But I guess in terms of migrating away from those systems, I mean, to your point, the the big bang, let's do a five-year transformation, uh, you know, let's make sure we implement the latest version of, uh, you know, name your core banking vendor here. Um, that... I, you know, there's not many occasions where I can say that that's gone tremendously well for people. You know, typically, I, you know, I know me and you talked to clients about this before, but, you know, generally everybody migrates their data. Generally, everybody replicates all of their existing product sets. And what you end up with is just paralyzing your organization for four years, right? So is that the is that the biggest sort of driver for, you know, while everybody's pursuing shareholder value and increasing, you know, uh, your penetration of products and customer base and all these things, then almost dealing with that flat tire you've got uh, becomes a, well, let's just keep pumping it up. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we know that you know, banks, are, if you look at some of the big US banks, they're spending you know, 10 to $15 billion a year just on, on their IT budgets. And the vast majority of that is maintenance. Uh, and, you know, if you're just going to keep on maintaining it, actually, you actually end up putting layers and layers on top of your maintenance code as well. So it becomes slower and slower and slower. And I, I think if you look at the success stories of people, you're right. There is there is very few people who've actually done a full core migration and got away with it. You know, a lot more people have failed and failed quite miserably. I think where it does work is you always have to set up a, a, a little satellite off to the side. You know, actually you need a greenfield operation in some way, shape or form to be able to build out and prove new ways of working, new ways of, of governance, new ways of, of running your technology capability, and then work out a mechanism by which you can jump from the big system to, to the new system. Uh, very few people, I think there were good examples of, of people who have built those systems off the side. I mean, you know, you think about one of the first systems we built here, Metal, you know, for RBS. Uh, you know, doing very, very well nowadays. But actually making that system for, you know, how would NatWest jump from the core NatWest systems onto the new metal system to be built? That's the next problem they really have to face into. Uh, that's that's the challenge. And, and do you think, um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the sort of, 
really heyday of, you know, sort of expansion and international banking and, you know, NatWest buying, RVS buying this and that and, you know, HSBC buying that. You know, actually that sort of uh, antagonistic problem really, isn't it? Because to your point around all of those monolithic structures, when you're, uh, I think for a decade, nobody really integrated anything. You know I mean? People were too busy, you know, acquiring customers and uh, taking over new markets. So, you know, acquiring all of those monolithic structures and then, you know, never really seeing the ROI off the back of it. I almost kind of think, um, you know, for some big global banks now, uh, to your point on the the challenge, I don't think this is a technology challenge. It's is getting fifteen CIOs to agree with what the answer actually is and where you're actually going to go with it, right? So, so I mean, this is not just a a big bank problem, but but do the small banks, the you know the maybe the monoline banks or the single geography, or you know if you're looking at the the US or Canada, the the sort of uh, community banks that have a, a similar problem, but maybe a a more simplistic decision making criteria when it comes to you know access to the the C suite and the board, do they have a potentially a, an advantage in terms of their decision making here to to solve this problem? Do you think? Uh- I think potentially they do. Um, I suppose if you looked at the smaller banks, the, the mutuals and the, and the credit unions and, and you know, the, the tiers twos and threes of the world, historically you would have said, oh, they're kind of the poor brethren of the financial community. They don't really have the money, uh, uh, you know, they don't really have the reach. And, and you know, they, they kind of looked, looked up to the big banks and said, oh, I wish I could be a big bank. But actually the reality is not having that money and not having that, that reach meant they haven't built a lot of the systems in the way that big banks have have done and almost had to do the way the big banks had to do those systems. So actually the, the smaller banks now, they're in a place where they can unwind a lot of their capabilities. It's not such a, yeah, it, it's not it's not open heart surgery. You know, maybe they've got a broken bone or two and you've got to reset it, but it can be done. But actually, the, you know, you are speaking to the doctor in a small bank. You know, you, the CEO, you can have a face-to-face conversation with them and they actually understand their, their, their the world they're living in. Uh, not not say the big bank CEOs don't understand the world they're living in. Of course, they understand the world they're living in. But actually, the small bank CEO has the potential uh, to, to to change the world. What they need is that I think you know if you look at the way that uh, you know the technology suppliers of, the, of this, that they're not aimed at helping these small banks at the moment. You know, everyone is still trying to sell big big systems into the large banks because that's where you make your money. Um, actually, what's needed, I think, for the smaller banks is someone to come along and start to help these guys put together a, a next generation view of the world. Uh, because you know they are almost like the satellite banks that the big banks are trying to set up on the side. The small banks are already there. That's actually what they're doing. But they just need to start making internal changes and, and uh, building up their capability that way. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a problem, isn't it? Because almost the the ba- uh, we talk about the banking battlefield quite a lot, but the the battlefield isn't just the things that you see it's not just the the scaling of the customers in terms of actually your the impact that people have on the market you know the 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 apps the features the functionality it's it's actually all the things that sit underneath that aren't they and actually i mean i, I often say you know top of any global ceo's list is dear god my opex cost is getting out of hands and like anything that i do you know uh capex just seems to just layer more opex cost on what like how do i solve for that problem right but but is this a is this a sort of a, a process or a, a problem that can be solved, or is it increasingly a, a sort of a Gordian knot? You know, it's the millstone around their neck to to kind of carry forwards. Because you know, actually, 
and really, is this the is this the strategic advantage of the the fintech challenger banks that are being built today? Because they don't have any of these legacy issues, do they? They don't have any of those uh, incumbent problems because their technology capabilities is relatively new. Um, I, I guess I, I always go back to, and I, I love stealing your story on this one, Ewan, but you all say that, uh, you know, brilliant systems are, are grown, they're not, uh, they're not delivered. And actually, is this actually more of an indication of the way that banks look at technology wrongly, which is it's a project that you deliver and then it's done, rather than actually something you've continually got to be evolving, you've got to continually ensuring it's relevant to the the market the operate you operate in and the the problems that you're fundamentally trying to solve uh i think it does i think that's the issue it's it's this uh, your technology isn't uh encased in concrete forever in a day it's something that you've got to continually be tending to right yeah i mean if you look at a if you look at a large bank almost nobody is taking a proper holistic systemic view of both the way the bank operates, you know, operationally and, and probably from a governance perspective, but certainly from a technology perspective. Um, you know, this idea, you know, banks are addicted to projects. That's how they view the world. I'll set something up, I'll, I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it launched. And then, you know, the definition of, of success in a project isn't actually does it help the long-term systemic direction of the bank. It's have I actually met my budget for this particular project? So what what happens is that, you know, the easiest way to do a project is to control everything. In your domain, so you go and get your own new core system, you get your own KYC system, you go your own, uh, you know, fraud system, etc. And what that means is that a bank then ends a large bank, but ends up with 10, 15, 20, 50 different KYC systems, fraud systems, and so on and so forth. They all make sense on a per project basis, but systemically they make no sense at all. And I think what needs, and this is, you know, it's where the opportunity is for the smaller banks because actually they can take a systemic view of, view of the world. If I was the a COO of a of a major you know global bank, actually I would be putting a lot of my maintenance money to actually building out almost like almost a wholesale capability of the bank because you know banking is simple storing money, moving money, lending money. You know that that's really what a bank is about. Sure, you know all the differences at the top, the jobs to be done, the regulation, etc. But actually, you know people people get fixated on that, and the actual core of a bank is is really quite simple. But you look at a large, you know, these large banks. Almost nobody has these these conceptual abstractions in their in their banking systems to deal with these these ideas, and they end up building each one bang 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 on a per project basis. Uh, so you know your capex and your opex just just get way out of line. A smaller bank actually, you could potentially make that jump. You know it is not so hard for you to do that because your bank is effectively just one project. Yeah, how do you how do you as a CEO of a smaller bank use that that agility and it is agility to your advantage? Very good. I mean, it's been an interesting conversation. Like you say, you know, you sort of talk about COBOL in this uh, sort of like it's uh, it's almost uh, a forgotten language, like Latin, you know. Uh, but uh, in many instances, you know, the places where we find Latin most used is, uh, you know, in the uh, in the banking industry for various different setups, and it's very similar to what we're seeing with COBOL. I think hopefully what you've heard is this isn't just a back office or deep-seated technology problem. 
But actually, this is something that affects all the way through the stack. You know, what you do at the bottom of the technology capability really does affect what happens from a customer experience perspective. And uh, and I think like uh, any problem that we all know we've got that we put off for too long, uh, these things have a tendency to come back and bite you on the butt, don't they, rather than going away in that way. So uh, on that note, we probably better leave it here, Ewan, because I think we could probably rant about this one for a, a, a long time. But uh, we'll leave it today. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people learn a little bit more about you or reach out to you or have any of the views that you've had today? Um, probably the best place is on LinkedIn. So if you look me up, you and Silver on LinkedIn, you'll find me there. Very cool. As for me, if you want to chat to me about all things COBOL, feel free to drop me an email, david at 11fs.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. Helps everybody find the show and helps us make it better as well. And remember, if you like this episode, do check out Decoding Banks, where we break down COBOL as well as loads of other stuff that you can help you understand financial services and banking a little bit better. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech insider or email us on podcasts at 11fs.com thank you very much for listening everybody goodbye the time for community banks and credit unions to win is now while the big players and exciting new challenges grab headlines regional institutions are at the heart of the banking ecosystem putting the service back into financial services Serving their local communities, these organisations around the world have a unique advantage over their competitors. They have deep, established roots with their customers. They offer a local personal service and they're not tangled up in the legacy tech mess that the big banks are. To read, watch and listen to what else we've got to say about them and how they can win, visit 11fs.com forward slash community banks. That's 11fs.com slash community banks.